On this episode of the Discover the Word podcast, we invite you to go on a journey with the group, a journey through the Old Testament book of Exodus. Our guest this week is author Natasha Sistrunk Robinson, and she sees the book of Exodus doing more than telling the story of Moses leading the Israelites out of slavery and receiving the Ten Commandments. She's convinced that as we dig into this distinctly Jewish story, we will uncover our own stories as well as they fit into the bigger story that the Bible is telling. And we'll find that God desires for each of us to journey into his freedom every day. So pull your chair up to the table with Elisa Morgan, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry as they welcome Natasha Sistrunk Robinson to the table for a study of Exodus called Journey to Freedom. And welcome to Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. Now, if you study with us on a regular basis, then you know that from time to time, we invite friends to sit in with us and share things they've learned as they've studied the scriptures. And this is one of those episodes. Now, it's tough to believe, but it was almost six years ago that Natasha Sistrunk Robinson was with us and did a series of conversations on discipleship called Mentor for Life. That was a really good study, and you can find it on our discovertheword.org website. Just click on the Archive tab and then type Mentor for Life into the search. It has some great perspective on intentional discipleship and the fundamental mission of the church to make disciples. And so we wanted to invite Natasha back and have her go through a new Bible study on the book of Exodus that she's just done for our Our Daily Bread publishing group. It's called Journey to Freedom, Discovering the God of Deliverance. And so in the next hour, Natasha is going to take us through some of the helpful teaching points and insight that she discovered as she interacted with the text of Exodus. So let's listen as Elisa and Daniel and Rasul welcome Natasha's sister Unc Robinson to discover the word for this study, Journey to Freedom. Well, I am really excited for our conversation today. Natasha Sistrunk Robinson Mm -hmm. is not only a dear friend, but her output is amazing. Mm -hmm. Leadership, author, podcast host, Sojourner's Mm -hmm. Truth, shout out. But also, she's authored a book called Journey to Freedom, which we're going to have the opportunity to kind of go in and learn and explore this Bible study mm-hmm. that is in this book. So, Natasha, welcome mm-hmm. yeah. to Discover the Word, and thanks for being here. So glad to be here. Thank y'all for having me back. That's an honor. Where would you like to start us today? So as I think about Exodus, particularly, it's a lot of layers happening, even at the beginning of the story of Exodus. And where I think it would be good to start our conversation is why is it important for us to know and tell the truth about history? Ooh. I've heard it said that those who don't know their history are doomed to repeat it. Mm, yeah. And so there's this educational dynamic of history. And I think we see that in the scriptures, too. That's true. And I think this is not just a cultural issue. It's a theological one. Right. Mm-hmm. As someone who loves the Bible. And I think it's specifically about this story. Exodus, there's a lot of history we're getting at the very beginning of the book that for a reader that's not 
looking at the whole book or the whole context of God's story, we can miss, right? So hmm. I think about at the very beginning, you know, we are told a Pharaoh rose in the land who didn't know Joseph. Hmm. Didn't know the God of Joseph either. Didn't know the God yeah. of Joseph, didn't know yeah. Joseph. That's history there. We're told that the Israelites are crying out, you know, to God. Yeah. They're enslaved, you know, in the early parts of, of this. And the truth is that enslavement was violent. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. One of the things I think is important when we look at this story is that we're seeing that God is responding, I would like to say, in a way that's contextualized. So God knows the truth about the story. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important for us as believers to look at what we are seeing and what we're not seeing in the text mm-hmm. to engage it properly. So one question I, I would like for us to kind of think about when we see the Israelites crying out to God from their enslavement and God responds, like, what does that tell us about God? Let's read Exodus 3, 7 through 10. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Yeah, so going back to your question, what does that say about God? Just quickly taking notes as Rasul's reading, he, <laughs> he saw them, mm-hmm. so observed, seen, he heard them. He was concerned Mm -hmm. about them. And so he decides he's going to deliver them and not just deliver them, but deliver them into something where they're provided for and cared for. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of feels like a bait and switch. He's like, so Moses, I'm sending you. (laughs) Wait, wait, I I thought you were doing all this, Lord. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that means not only does God care about their suffering, he also uses us to Come on. then do something <laughs> about the suffering yes. that yeah. he sees right. yeah. and wants to do something about. Right. So God said, there's a problem. I see it. I hear it. You're crying out to me for it. I'm going to send Moses. Mm-hmm. Right. God chooses to get humans involved mm-hmm. in his acts of justice, in his redemptive work. It is something we see throughout the Bible. Yeah. And I also noticed that word in verse nine that oppressing them mm-hmm. like he heard that mm-hmm. so it wasn't just that he had mm-hmm. empathy mm-hmm. for suffering but he also names yep. the source of the suffering and mm-hmm. to say that there's something because of this slavery situation yeah. yes that is unjust is wrong yeah yep and, and he's referred to his misery and suffering earlier yep. mm-hmm. right yeah. and it's a violation of his character yeah yeah and we see that Really clearly in chapter two, verse 11, where mm-hmm. Moses sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think about, you know, thinking, looking at to history again, this is a verse where we see God is always on the move. Because mm-hmm. when I think about God's covenant with Abraham, right, he says, like, like I'm going to have your people growing number, which we've already seen happen by this Exodus text. He made a promise to Abraham first. Mm-hmm. And so what we see here, the land that he's going to take them to, he's saying it's a home home of the Canaanites, Ananites, Hevites, I call them all the ites, all the ites, right? (laughs) (laughs) And what he said to Abraham, when he promised Abraham, he said, these people are sinful. Mm -hmm. 
and their sin has not yet reached this full measure. Mm. So like all this time, God has been gracious and patient, giving these people opportunities to repent and they didn't. So even in God making a promise to bring the Israelites out of their enslavement, he's also bringing judgment on these other people Mm. that are not worshiping him. Which goes to the issue of justice. Exactly, exactly. So the history and the justice there. When we see early on in the passage too, let's say if we look at the burning bush in chapter four, God, he introduced himself. And one of the things that Moses asked, and you can find the scripture for me when he said, like, who should I tell him sent me? Mm-hmm. And God mm-hmm. says, you know, I am. But he, he also introduces himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Chapter three, mm-hmm. starting in verse 13. But Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you. Mm-hmm. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say? Mm-hmm. God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, thus you'll say to the Israelites, I am sent me to Mm -hmm. you, Mm -hmm. and then goes on to describe himself as the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So going back to our question about history, like Mm -hmm. even though Moses was born in his home of his biological parents, he was raised in a palace. Mm -hmm. And my thing is that there's something he had to know about his own history. Like God wouldn't have introduced himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob if Moses didn't know who Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it wouldn't have had any context for Moses. And so I think even for us as we're engaging this text to realize like God is watching mm. and God has a record of these things. But also for our own lives, why is it important as we think about how we see the character of God show up in the text to also know how God is engaging with our own story. Hmm. So you're seeing mm-hmm. here kind of a collision of Absolutely. multiple stories. So Absolutely. Moses grows up in the palace, but he grows up with his mom as his nurse. And so she's like teaching subtly him. teaching him yeah. about his own history. So he knows the, his ancestors' history, but then here God shows up in a very real way in Moses' story, but also for the benefit of the people's story. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the immediate context you alluded to when Moses sees the, you know, Egyptian beating Mm -hmm. the slave. That didn't end up too well for him. No, it doesn't. (laughs) He ends up killing the man Mm -hmm. on the run. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, the next day when he had seen, you know, he tried to break up a fight amongst them. So he tries to lead the people Mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, you're the guy that murdered somebody (laughs) yesterday. (laughs) And he's like, okay, I'm out. (laughs) So some of his own doubts about his ability come from his own experience. So God is in this moment restoring his own sense of leadership that, Mm -hmm. yes, you can be the one. And validating his own story, you know, that that Mm -hmm. I'm going to use this and I'm going to use this and this is not a mistake. Yeah. And what I love when I look at it is God is not just connecting Moses' story to the Israelite story, to the ancestor story, to God's own redemptive story. But God is also letting them know a character issue. Like, I am the God who fulfills my promises to a people. Mm -hmm. Right. I love that. Mm. And so, you know, he made a promise to Abraham. The promise is going to come to pass. He's now talking to Moses. And at this burning bush, he's telling Moses, like, look, I'm going to be with you. Mm-hmm. I'm not sending you out here by yourself. And I think that's an important part of history, too. Like God carries us through even when it's good or, or it's bad history as well. The last part of that, I, I think we can wrap up and just kind of looking at Pharaoh, the type of God with a little G. Mm. You know, they thought of Pharaoh as being divine mm. and he's not. <laughs> but the only reason we know he's not is because he shows up in ways in the text that God does not. So when we say at the very beginning, a Pharaoh rose that didn't know Joseph, but God knew Joseph. 
Mm-hmm. I think it speaks to us too about the importance of having leaders that know history. Mm-hmm. Like, why is that important? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because if the pharaoh that rose understood the history, he would have understood that Egypt had been blessed. Come on, by mm-hmm. the God of Abraham, mm-hmm. Isaac, and Jacob yes. through Joseph. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. and so that you wouldn't then attack his people because this God was able to deliver yeah. and oh. to provide for you. Egypt, the nation that it is, based in large part for the wealth that they acquired through the seven years of famine in which Joseph was governor and outlined a strategy for them to survive. So when we think about the text here and and just kind of wrapping up the lesson and and why history is so important and what we see in Exodus at the very beginning, how God is showing up and revealing himself. I see that we are interconnected, Mm -hmm. like we're connected to God's story. Mm. We are connected to the story of our people. We are connected to the history of our ancestors. And all that shapes society, culture, history, and our theology as well. And so I just love that God reveals himself to us as an all-knowing, wise God. And when we understand who God is, we can see ourselves better. Great start to our study of the book of Exodus with our guest, author Natasha Sistrunk-Robinson. Knowing history and knowing our history is important. And we're going to find that Exodus provides a real foundation for the bigger story that the Bible is telling. And I think that allows us to more clearly see how our story is part of that bigger story. And so in the next part of this Journey to Freedom study, we're going to build on that as Natasha asks us to think about some women who have been a significant influence in our lives. Can you name some? Yeah, we all have them. And as we'll see in Exodus, Moses had them too. A lot of them, actually. And so we'll continue the study after this quick word about how you can get a copy of Natasha's book that's providing the basis for our discussions. As we get started on this study of the book of Exodus, I'd like to point you to Natasha's book called Journey to Freedom, Discovering the God of Deliverance. It's available from Our Daily Bread Publishing. As you read, you'll discover that God wants to build a relationship with you. He wants to equip you for his work and to use you to make lasting impacts in your community. In our conversations, we'll just be scratching the surface of all the important ideas that are contained in this book. And while you would profit from reading the book on your own, I think it would have a bigger impact if you would go through this eight-week Bible study in community with friends and explore the book of Exodus together. Over the course of those eight weeks, Natasha provides insights and tools to help you discover your own story of freedom. You can order a copy of Journey to Freedom, Discovering the God of Deliverance by Natasha Sistrunk-Robinson when you click on the link that's available at discovertheword.org this week. Just scroll down a bit there on our homepage and you'll see the book and a link to order a copy. Or you can also search for Journey to Freedom by Natasha Sistrunk-Robinson through your favorite online bookseller. And now back to the table with the group for this segment of the conversation about some of the women who had influential roles in shaping Moses into, well, Moses. When I think about the people who've like influenced me and shaped me, it's a lot of times not 
exclusively, but I, mm-hmm. I always want to include and honor the leadership of women. So what are some of the faithful women um, that you've mm-hmm. seen show up in, in your life and help your faith journey? The first one that I think of is my mom, who is always like pretty faithful with prayer. And she would often be waiting up for me when I got home from things just to hear how things went, which was probably her way of checking in on me too, to make sure that I wasn't <laughs> up to trouble. Of course it was. <laughs> the other person that comes to mind is my grandma who's Mm. one of our number one fans of discover the word Mm -hmm. and every monday after she listens to the podcast version she texts me usually what she learned or what she enjoyed or whatever although recently i think she was pushing back on something i said (laughs) which is nice yeah and um so i think about her when i think of words like faithfulness and Mm -hmm. following and prayer and things like that yeah my journey i was pretty much raised by my mom, my grandmother, my aunt, and just very strong women who really instilled a sense of belief in me, mm-hmm. which was in, very important. And then in a faith journey standpoint, I think about when I was in college where my faith really came to life mm-hmm. and there was a staff person with crew named Jacqueline Bland who really challenged me to be in full-time mm-hmm. ministry, like to start ministry at Howard University. If she had never challenged me to do that, I would not be here. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. I think about a woman, her name was Bonnie. Mm-hmm. Her last name was Robinson and her husband was Haddon Robinson. And when they were mm-hmm. at Denver Seminary serving as the president and the first lady, if you will, she just came into my life in a beautiful way and really prayed. And specifically, I was raised in a home that was confusing. My parents were divorced mm-hmm. and my mom's struggled with alcohol. I didn't know if she knew God. Anyway, as my mom grew near to death, Bonnie took on Mm -hmm. that mantle of prayer for my mom. And it made a huge difference. I mean, Mm -hmm. her example, but her faithfulness and her lifting up my arms, if you will, you know, to support me. Yeah. In my hall of faith, I was like my mother and Mary Thompson discipled me all through college. You know, there's just so many. My choir director at the Naval Academy become my godmother, Joyce Garrett. <laughs> just so many women that have really been a faithful example and model mm. of God's faithfulness in my life. And what we see, looking at Moses' story, mm-hmm. uh, I don't want people to miss that Moses became a rescuer because he was rescued Mm -hmm. and he became a savior because he was saved. And most of the time that was the direct result of the acts of faithful women in his Mm -hmm. life. So what do we see in the text you're going to read for us? Uh, Exodus 1 17. Mm -hmm. So there's a king in in the land who has decreed that all the boys are going to be killed. And anyway, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, when you're helping, you know, make sure this kid is killed. Well, in verse 17, the midwives, however, feared God and Mm -hmm. did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. Mm -hmm. They let the boys live. Right. So the edict goes out to kill all the Hebrew boys Mm -hmm. and the Hebrew midwives decide to commit treason. Mm hmm. And said, we, we're not going to do that. Truth be told, they, they lied, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they lied. That's right. right? They say yep. the women are delivering too fast. But really, the truth was they intentionally decided we're just not going to do this mm-hmm. because it was more important for them to obey God than to obey Pharaoh. So that's the first time we really see Moses. He would have died with the rest of the boys in his generation. Mm-hmm. And he didn't because these midwives were saving the lives of the Hebrew boys. Um, who else? Well, Miriam and Jochebed and... Yeah, which we see that in chapter two. I'll just begin in verse one. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. So back to our conversation last time about history. Mm -hmm. The woman (laughs) conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him three months. Mm -hmm. 
she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen Mm -hmm. to him. And then, of course, we see the daughter of Pharaoh show up. And then verses 7, his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse it for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. All women in this story. Mm-hmm. All <laughs> women. And you know, I love like, so Jacobed, his mother, like she, first of all, she hit him. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Then she crafts a strategy and she's giving her daughter Miriam instructions. It's kind of like, you know, I was raised in the South. So like the black mama said, do something, you do it. <laughs> and so she's like, this is what you're going to do. And so Miriam, you know, my military mind's like, she's standing watch. She's watching to see if the basket gets where it's supposed to go. Like, I think these women absolutely knew Pharaoh's daughter was going to be bathing there. She probably did so at the same time every day. And so there was a very intentional choice to send the basket down when they sent it, hoping that it gets to her. And it does. You know, so the strategy is outlined in the home. The mother takes action. Miriam stands watch and it gets to Pharaoh's daughter. And she in her, I would say her empathy and her kindness She also disobeys her father. Mm. (laughs) And I say, you know, what she does is that she provides a home and protection for Moses so that he lives. Mm -hmm. Yes. Exodus 2, 5. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews children down to verse 10. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. So, yeah, as you said, Natasha, like the strikingness of actually Pharaoh's daughter Mm -hmm. being the source of this saving where she could have ended it all right there. You know, if she decided to obey her dad instead hmm. of her heart. And the weight of the fact that names are so important throughout the story of the Bible. And it's Pharaoh's daughter that names Moses, Moses. Yeah. <laughs> Which is pretty crazy. You would think that God gave that name to so-and-so right. and they named right. their child or whatever. But it's a very practical name. I right. drew him out of the water, so I'm going to call him drew him out of the water. <laughs> well, and it makes you but, wonder, had his parents already named him and what name had they given mm-hmm. him? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting to me. I mean, we believe Moses wrote this, and so it's always interesting. Like, you think about an autobiography or a uh-huh. memoir, like how people chronicle yep. their own lives and mm-hmm. what they leave in and what they mm-hmm. keep out. So I almost just wonder why Moses did that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, we forget about Sephora as well. So I'll read that verse because okay. if you look at Exodus chapter 4, verse 24, God has already spoken to him at the burning bush. He's getting ready to go back to Egypt. And in verse 24, we see at the lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Sephora took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. And she said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So the Lord let him alone. And at the time she said bridegroom of blood, referring to the circumcision. So 
what happens, this is going back to the history lesson from the previous conversation. What the Israelites are supposed to do is to circumcise their sons on the eighth day. Mm-hmm. It is a symbol that they belong to the Lord. And so their oldest son, Gershom, is not circumcised mm-hmm. and he's older than eight days old. And here's the thing, like Zipporah is not an Israelite. Hmm. So she is actually taking an action that Moses should have taken. Mm. And he probably knew to take, but for whatever reason, he didn't. And so I think it's very interesting here because I think it goes to a history point of like what it symbolizes. It's not just an act that it means it's a covenant that God is is really um, concerned about. But I think also it says to us about acts of faith and obedience. We need that Mm. discipline that intention before God can trust us with bigger things. And and Moses is about to go do something really, really big. And so what else did you see with the women showing up in Moses' life to spare and the significance of that? Yeah, I think about how the, the women in his life pushed up against expectations to the contrary and even past cultural or ethnic right. barriers, right? Mm-hmm. So you see his wife circumcising, which was a Hebrew task. We see Pharaoh's daughter rescue a a Hebrew son mm-hmm. who by, from the law standpoint should have been executed. Mm-hmm. We see the midwives mm-hmm. disobey Pharaoh. So mm-hmm. like in each of these cases, there's just a great deal of courage and faith to do the right thing in spite of expectations that they would do the opposite. Yeah. And I think that's the important part. Uh, you know, one thing that's really striking to me with these women is that like they put their lives on the line for the sake of other people. So this is that kind of where we see, Jesus shows up in the text. Greater love has no one than this. They will lay down their lives for their friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally these women, certainly the Hebrew members could have been murdered for their choice, but they decided it was more important to be faithful and to obey the Lord. And I think that's a critical thing. I think it's important for us not to forget the people in our lives who are in our hall of faith mm-hmm. and to not think of the acts of women you know, perhaps because their leadership might look different in some ways as, as less than, mm-hmm. right? But being intentional to include those women and to honor their faithfulness in our lives and how they show up both in the Bible, but also in our own personal journeys with the Lord. As we continue into this Exodus journey to freedom, we see part of a climax of the story. And we have these 10 plagues happening between Exodus chapter 7 and chapter 10. And God is revealing that he's God and Pharaoh is not. Mm. And so I love to kind of ask and let us think about the ways that God is revealing himself to the people through these plagues. And a lot of times knowing that the Egyptians would have been trusting in other gods with a little G Mm -hmm. to protect and provide these things that God God is coming up against and proving that he is over all of those territories. And so when I think about that, like what are some idols that we see even in our modern day culture, some things we put our hope and trust in, even as Christians, mm-hmm. besides God? I think of finances and savings accounts sure. pretty quick, you retirement bet. accounts. And I know just in my own heart how much faith I put in that because when things happen and that savings account gets smaller and smaller mm-hmm. to zero, maybe negative, <laughs> I lose lose my peace and I freak out and I wonder what's going on. And it's amazing how Mm -hmm. that reveals where I've put my trust. Studies show that America is the most workaholic nation Mm. in the world, right? We we take the least amount of vacations and we work the most amount of hours. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's this aspect of trust in our own ability and our own selves. Mm -hmm. Self-sufficiency. That is an idol. 
And I know that personally because I struggle with the Sabbath. I struggle with taking time to just stop and rest and feeling like if I don't do it, the world will stop. Right. (laughs) It it has to get done. And so that's definitely an idol that I think is pervasive in the culture and even one that I even wrestle with. Another one I'm thinking of now, too, is just the weight that I put on relationships. And when people disappoint Mm -hmm. or they don't meet the expectations I have or my assumptions, that's good. That can really mess me up too Mm -hmm. at times, especially if I expect somebody to be there for me in a situation and then they're not. Mm -hmm. Man, that is hard. And I think women see that a lot too, especially in our culture where so much of their identity can be wrapped up in their married or not married, Mm -hmm. what their spouse is doing and whether or not the marriage is going well and looks healthy and whether their kids are thriving. Like Mm -hmm. so much of women's identity, because we've been socialized into thinking like, especially in the Christian culture, that Mm -hmm. that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And so if those things aren't working the way you thought, then it's easy to lose sight of who God is or who you are. So we think about culture and beliefs. What we see in this text is that God is confronting the idols of the people. Mm -hmm. In confronting the idols of the people, he is showing us his purposes and the promises. And he's doing that publicly because all of these idols are establishing cultural norms. And so I think it's important for us to kind of take a look at that. So let's see, first of all, kind of how Pharaoh thinks about (laughs) the God of the Hebrews. And so (laughs) in Exodus chapter five, verse two, what do we see from him there? Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know this Lord, and I will not let Israel go. So there you go. Pharaoh (laughs) has told us his heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, If I don't know him, he didn't there. He's uh, he's also grown up in a culture, though, where he is the son of God. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So, of course, he doesn't know the Lord because he knows God, his dad. And as a result of that, he's taken on this mantle of power and authority as the son of God. Mm -hmm. And so this is a battle of authority and power just as much as a battle of the gods as well. Absolutely. And then so we fast forward just a little bit and go into chapter six. We see God basically starting to engage Moses. It's interesting to me that God never talks to Pharaoh directly. Mm-hmm. I believe like God is like, Pharaoh not even on my level. Like, I don't talk to you. <laughs> like, I talk to Moses and Moses come talk to you, mm-hmm. you know. And so when God talks to Moses, mm-hmm. what does he say? Exodus 6 verse 1, we read, but the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh for with a strong hand. He will send them out and with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob as God almighty. And so God is telling Moses how this is going to go down. And one Mm -hmm. thing we see even in the New Testament, when Jesus comes on the scene, the work of miracles You know, the father says that's evidence that Jesus is God. Mm -hmm. Like one way you're going to know is Jesus because of what you see. Mm -hmm. And so when John the Baptist, the, you know, disciples go and say, are you the Messiah? Should we look for another? He said, go and tell John what you've seen. Mm -hmm. And so in the same way here, God is revealing to the people that I am God, the only God. And beside me, there's no other. And you're going to know that by the miracles that happen, by what you see. And this is just the start of it. And so what do we see happen here in verses six through eight? Uh, Say, therefore, to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will free you from the burdens of the Egyptians and deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my people. 
and I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. You know, Natasha, earlier you said that Pharaoh was like, who is this Lord? Mm -hmm. But if we think about it, the people of Israel actually asked Moses almost the same thing. Mm -hmm. Who is this Lord? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I wonder if not only are this epic battle of the gods of the plagues and God showing like, oh, you believe in the sun God? Well, I can make darkness Mm -hmm. and your God has no power. Exactly. Is just as much for Israel to see who God really is as it is for Egypt. Because as we've said, you know, this all happens in a day when a king came into power to whom Joseph meant nothing. Mm -hmm. And so they've lost their history, haven't Mm -hmm. they? That's good. Yeah. And I think about the ways in which our own idols can be challenged. Mm. Oh, so you think it's in your job. Mm -hmm. I'll take that away. I'll take that away. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, you think it's in your ability to do work Mm -hmm. in my case. How about you can't do anything because there's a global pandemic. And it's like this aspect where oftentimes the things that we hold up and that we proposition and that we make as our thing. God Mm. was like, nah, there is nothing else. but Yeah. And that can sound cruel or mean as if God's like trying to hurt us in some way. But what he's doing is he's like, you just put your hope in something false. Mm. I want you to see that for what it really is. Yeah. And so it's this loving act of kindness to reveal to us you have hope in something that's false. And just to push against this for a little bit, sometimes bad things happen because we live in a fallen world. True. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because we're always like, well, I mean, I have a friend who always goes, I don't know what I did, uh, that God's doing right. this. And I'm like, I'm not sure that's you did not anything. How God, yeah. yeah, he's not like that, waiting for you to, oh, Rasul, you knew you stepped in the bad <laughs> square, you <laughs> lose your turn. You know, but yeah. the reality is there are consequences in our fallen world, but mm-hmm. God uses them, you know, just yeah. like you saying, Daniel, to reveal himself. He does. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that challenges us as Western readers to do is to look at how systems work. Because a lot of times when you have a friend like that, they're thinking about what did I as an individual do? It's all about me. It's all about me, (laughs) which tells you that we've made, you know, ourselves a God, little G, you know, to ourselves. And what we see in the text, though, that these are things that are impacting entire people groups. And Mm -hmm. I agree with you 100 percent that God is just as much revealing himself to the Israelites as he is to Mm -hmm. the Egyptians. Mm -hmm. So the Israelites have forgotten the Egyptians didn't know. (laughs) And you know what else? I think God's still, I hate to use this phrase, but I think it's what's happening is proving himself to Moses. Because if you look down chapter six, (laughs) verse 12, but Moses spoke to the Lord, the Israelites have not listened to me. (laughs) Right. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me, Mm -hmm. poor speaker that I am, right? So so even he is caught up in maybe some of the things that he put hope Mm. in before or false whatever. And so God is continuing to show himself faithful to Moses too. The Lord showed me and I just, I'm so humbled by it. But you know, we get all verklempt about what he's going to do through us, you know? Mm -hmm. Are you going to reach people? Are you going to heal? Are you going to change? Are you going to bring truth? And he's made it so clear to me that he cares just as much about what he's doing in me Mm -hmm. as what he's doing through me. And I... I forget that part. So this is the thing what we see in the text. One, we see multiple times throughout the text where God talks about the condition of Pharaoh's heart. Mm. Right. And so there's sometimes where Pharaoh hardens his own heart. There's times where it says God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And this whole thing about, you know, God has really given Pharaoh permission to do what he wants to do. Mm. He is using these people to a very particular end. Mm. And the reason he would not let them go worship is because 
I'm going to lose the benefit of the services that they rendered towards me, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what this is all about. And so for Pharaoh, this is basically just like a social issue, <laughs> yeah. right? Like I don't have to answer to you. You messing up my business. Mm. Yeah. And it's an economic issue. It's yeah. an economic mm-hmm. issue. But what Moses is revealing us, this is also a heart issue. Mm. It's about greed and power and him being able to dominate that power over mm. other people. So that's what we see in Pharaoh. But what we also see for the people is that they're placing their tropes in a whole bunch of things and God is saying over and over this is what you go say to Pharaoh and this is what I command you and so he's kind of to your point about how he's teaching Moses he's coaching Moses Mm -hmm. so Moses can get clarity about who he is and can become reliable on him like Moses doesn't speak things throughout this whole time that God didn't directly tell him to say that also points me to the importance and this is what I was getting at earlier about how circumstances can change not Mm -hmm. that God is necessarily behind, you know, a a, a specific challenge to my life in terms of a punishment. But how do I respond to it? Do I Mm -hmm. respond in faith and trust and obedience or do I respond in taking it into my own hands? And it seems like Pharaoh's like, this can't be the will of anybody because this is going to inconvenience me. (laughs) And it seems like for (laughs) what God is telling Moses, too, because Moses is kind of falling into that same trap Mm -hmm. when he is like, but I can't speak. It's like, who gave you your mouth? (laughs) You know what I mean? It was was me that gave you your mouth. So so like that challenge to Mm -hmm. expand. But the last part about that that's also interesting is the more that we obey, it yeah. seems from from the text, the easier it gets to trust. Uh-huh. The more we disobey, the harder our hearts get. Mm. And so what we see as we kind of wrap up this uh, lesson is that we learn about systems and how kingdoms work. We learn about how our hearts respond to idols. We learn about how God is training all the people who are witnessing the Egyptians, the Israelites and Moses and Pharaoh about who he is and really why he's the only God that's true and worthy of worship. And I just, I love that we see the faithfulness of God in that, but also we see very clearly that God is not interested in destroying people, Mm. right? So one thing we learn in the text is that God's like, he could have took Pharaoh out immediately. Mm. But if he did that, then what the Egyptians would have done would replace him with another Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. And so it's in this whole process, like this is, I think people read the plays and think that day one, this happened, day 10, this happened, but this is like over a longer period of time. And so God is teaching the people who he is and why he's the only one worthy of worship. So I think that's what I love to see in this text, that God is God alone. Besides him, there is no other. Important part of the conversation, helping us to see what God was doing in introducing himself to Moses and the Israelites, as well as the Egyptians and Pharaoh, in a powerful way through a series of plagues. It was God versus the gods of the Egyptians, and God won. And he still wins today against the various gods that we try to set up in our own lives. We're on a journey through some of the foundational ideas in the book of Exodus, the journey to freedom. And next, Natasha wants to talk to us about rhythms. You know, the rhythms that we develop as we go through life, we all have them. And we all know what it's like to have our rhythms disrupted and changed. We talk a lot about pre-COVID and post-COVID. Well, in Exodus, the Israelites had pre and post rhythms too. And A lot of what God was doing was shifting their rhythms from pre-Exodus to post-Exodus, from the rhythms of life in Egypt to becoming the people of God. 
I think about all these rhythms that we have in our life mm-hmm. that shape us and help us you know, become. And sometimes that includes faith rhythms and spiritual mm-hmm. rhythms mm-hmm. as well. And I know when early part of 2020 happened and we entered into what became a global pandemic of COVID-19, all those rhythms stopped. Yeah, mm-hmm. And we yeah. thought it was going to be like two weeks. Of, <laughs> you know, they said, go home for two weeks. And we was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And then that turned into two years plus. And so even in that two years, we've kind of established new rhythms that were different than mm-hmm. the rhythms we had before it. And now kind of coming out of it a bit, I think we have new rhythms still. And I don't think necessarily those rhythms are more healthy than what happened, what we were doing before the pandemic. I think the pandemic has impacted how we're showing up and engaging with each other now. And so as I think about that, I'm just wondering how does our daily life rhythms really shape who we are becoming? I think about all of the, uh, and this is going to sound a little nerdy, but I hope that's okay. Um, <laughs> but about all the evidence that keeps coming out on how, whether it's social media or smartphones or whatever, mm-hmm. are rewiring our brains to look for certain types of feedback, whether it's a ding or a thumbs up or whatever, and how people will often go to bed with their phone is the last thing they look at and wake up with the first thing they see mm-hmm. and how that's shaping them to always be looking for a hit of adrenaline or dopamine based on basically seeing something from a friend or something. And so it actually causes not only positive moments, but a lot of negative moments as well. And so they're basically shaping their whole life around Mm -hmm. a device. Yeah. And I think about the other side of that, as there's been more research done on sleep and what helps us rest, you know, a lot of experts recommend that you have a rhythm and you have a a regular set of practices, or they almost call it sleep hygiene, Mm -hmm. you know, which includes Mm -hmm. keeping your phone away from you, Mm -hmm. which includes, you know, having some type of a a pattern to help get you into sleep. And I know one of them that I use sometimes is like the sleep sounds. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But that's a great example because, and then as soon as you end up in a place where either your phone dies or there's no electricity, you can't sleep because there's no rain sounds. Exactly. It's interesting. Like I, I know before the pandemic, I had rhythms of, of Sabbath keeping. I had rhythms of like taking retreats and stuff like that because I like the work too. It's like, so I, I would take a retreat like every three months, but then you're in a pandemic. It's like, you don't do that. You can just work all the time because mm-hmm. what else you going to do? Right. <laughs> right. And so now I'm trying to get back into that rhythm mm-hmm. of taking those breaks and those rests that we need because mm-hmm. Here's the thing, like we're not God. Mm-hmm. We do need to rest and things will keep revolving mm-hmm. if we stop, <laughs> you know, and I think really? that's important. They will. <laughs> they will. And, you know, I think about what you're saying, Daniel, about us being more technically connected, but more isolated than ever. That's mm-hmm. what the research yeah. is showing. It. Right. Yeah. it certainly is a negative impact on our young people and our girls. You know, and another element that really has been shaped, I think, through the pandemic was church attendance. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of us mm-hmm. just habitually, you know, it's Saturday night or Sunday or whatever, and off we go. But the pandemic taught us to turn on the computer and watch it online, maybe start skipping the worship and just getting the message. You start Mm -hmm. making adjustments. Mm -hmm. Well, now that everything's lifted and you can go back, you know, what's happening to church attendance and not in a legalistic way, but in the need we have to gather together, to worship together, Mm -hmm. to be in community together as the people of God. And when you get out of habits like that, Mm -hmm. maybe you don't even miss it or know that Mm -hmm. you need it. And one thing we learn as we continue in this Exodus journey 
journey and the Israelites, they come out of Egypt. And I believe it was Tony Evans was preaching about the Exodus story one time. And he says like, God wasn't just trying to get Israel out of Egypt. He was trying to get Egypt out of them. Mm -hmm. And so we go into these chapters, chapter 13 through 24, where I see that God is basically teaching them the law, the highlight of it being the Decalogue and the Ten Commandments that we see in Exodus 20. But what God does is he's starting to say in a contextualized way, understanding the culture and the society they've been raised in, like this is the new standard for how you are mm -hmm. to be my people, sanctified people, holy people that are set apart. This is how you distinguish yourself from the other people in the land. And so let's explore some of the ways that we see in the text that God is creating them to be his holy people. What do we see there? We see it in Exodus 13. I'll just read the verse. It says, the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, mm -hmm. is mine. Yeah. <laughs> Hard to overstate the significance of this gesture. And of course, with this consecration, there were rituals and things established. And of course, for the animals, sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And the idea was birth was everything to them. They measured their value or wealth based on the amount of animals that mm -hmm. they had, flocks, uh, amount of children. Mm -hmm. Women often see, saw their own value and, and definitely <laughs> others as well. Oh, you have a lot of kids. You're wealthy. Mm -hmm. And so we're blessed by God. You're blessed by God. even. <laughs> and so for God to establish consecrate or to, you know, offer mm -hmm. to me the, the first mm -hmm. is to say that I come before everything else yeah. and you need to establish that you know, from the very beginning. Yeah, I almost see it too as a part of we're talking about rhythms, the rhythm of recognizing who it comes from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's it's not just that I'm first and give me things, but it's also this rhythm of recognizing where babies come from, <laughs> where animals come from, where their provision comes from. Yeah. And it's from the Lord. Mm -hmm. I think it's a trust issue too, right? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times in our culture is even Christians like we tend to give God what's left. Mm -hmm. yeah. So like we'll spend ourselves on other things. We'll spend our money on other things and then we'll tip the Lord. Yeah. Or we'll, yeah. you know, volunteer at the church if I have time, like after I do all the important things I want to do. And, you know, God is saying, no, no, no. Seek ye first mm -hmm. the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. And so I think that's what it says, because it's not just the firstborn, it's the firstborn male. Mm -hmm. right? And so when you're giving God or sanctifying or consecrating the firstborn male, you're saying, God, I'm going to allow this son, you know, to be used in your service, whatever way you see fit. I'm going to trust that there's going to be some provision after this son. Man, and in that culture, what that also means in a culture where the firstborn son is everything. Everything. Mm -hmm. Right? The one who's mm -hmm. in charge of the family, the, the one who's in, mm -hmm. gets the most of the inheritance, mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. the future protection of the mm -hmm. family. Yep. All of that is in yep. that son. Yep. It really is a, a statement of trust of yeah. we're giving this yeah. to God because God is the provider, the one who is trustworthy, the one who protects, mm -hmm. the one who cares for our family long term. And that trust comes, you know, if we look at other spots here in the book, mm -hmm. like I'm thinking about in chapter 17, yeah. that trust comes from understanding 
one of God's chief roles in our life, mm. which is to be our strong warrior. Yes. To be our azer is the word, you know, and, and that's what he does. I mean, that's the story I'm referring to is the Amalekites where mm. Joshua was fighting and Moses and Aaron and her, you know, they, anybody, they held up Moses's arms. Mm-hmm. And as long as they were holding up his arms and his arms were raised, they were winning. But yep. if they dipped, they began to lose. And at the end of it all, when they won in verse 15, Moses built an altar and called it the Lord is my banner Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord and the Lord will be at war against etc. But do we view God as our strong warrior that way? Because that changes how we trust him. And we can be afraid of him, that he's going to zap us with stuff, which has a whole different kind of response, a a rhythm of hiding from him, a rhythm of self-sufficiency. But when we understand he's our strong warrior and wants to provide for us. And I just think there's so many ways in the text, in these passages where God is building a discipline and a stamina among the people, right? Mm -hmm. And so you may remember like when they came out of Egypt, the reason they went through the way of the Red Sea is because he didn't want to send them through Philistine territory because they were not warriors. Mm. And so what God is saying is like, they had not yet been trained how to fight. Mm. And so this is really their first battle. This is a military person they meet, like talking about. <laughs> right. This is their first battle. Mm. And so he's like, I'm not going to send you to fight the greatest, not because I'm incapable of delivering you in that battle, but I know you're not ready. Mm-hmm. Like mentally, psychologically, you're not prepared for that Amazing. battle. Yeah. And so what he's going to do, he's, he's I'm, let me give you a small win, mm-hmm. right? Even with that small win it's like anything else we do we have to train we have to prepare talking about spiritual rhythms right you know one thing we learn in military you fight how you train (laughs) right and so you know in this small battle like Moses needs a stone that they provide because he's an older man now. And so he has that stone that he sits on, which I think also, you know, that symbolism of the rock mm-hmm. of Christ. Amen. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> but then he has, a, you know, he has a team and so a strong support of like Aaron and her lifting up his hands because again, your hands, your arms do mm-hmm. get tired. Mm-hmm. And so there's a discipline. There's a rhythm that they learn there. Like don't go up on a mountain by yourself to fight a battle. Mm-hmm. Take mm-hmm. some help. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we need each other. It's not good for humans to be alone and then you have Joshua down there his mm-hmm. first battle mm-hmm. and he's learning how to fight how by fighting mm-hmm. and so I think there's some spiritual rhythms that we learn and I think that's what we miss like God is shaping our character and growing us to become more like him by the things we go through even if it's a difficult thing it's not a punishment you know it's a, like God is refining us he's maturing us mm-hmm. he's building our character and so that's mm-hmm. I think some of the rhythms we learn and what we see there what's the other ways we see yeah uh, and as I think about the the context here and what's happening, it reminds me of one of the rhythms that I think a lot of us live under, at least I do, and that is being quick to defend myself or my reputation or mm-hmm. fight for myself, mm-hmm. especially in places like social media or others mm-hmm. where we feel like we need to, oh, no, no, this is what I mean, or you're wrong, I'm right, or whatever. And so here, like very early on in the story is this nod to who do we go to, mm-hmm. to trust with our reputation, to mm-hmm. care for us, to, mm-hmm. to fight for us. Often we're the ones quick to respond. Yeah. And here there's a, maybe that's one of the rhythms we learn from this too, is mm-hmm. trusting God with that. Just a beautiful provision of God though, right? Mm-hmm. Like he yeah. provided the staff, he provided Aaron and her, he mm-hmm. provided the rock, he provided Joshua. He told Joshua, go pick our army. Like he provided, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. the provision of yeah. God, I think we just forget because especially if we become good at things it's easy to think oh I did this by my own mm-hmm. strength yeah. my yep. own power and fool ourselves yep. and, and that's how the Sabbath the command to do rest yeah. even 
the consecration of the firstborn, all of these things point to our dependence on a dependable God. Mm -hmm. And and so in that sense, sometimes they can be looked upon as like laws that are burdens, but instead, I think we see that they are opportunities for rest if we can trust God instead of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. God's, quote, laws are often about establishing new rhythms in our lives, help us get in step with him. And so often when God says, don't, what he's really saying is, don't hurt yourself. Hearing his commands with that kind of a mindset makes a huge difference. Well, we're going through the book of Exodus and touching on some of the ideas that Natasha's sister Unc Robinson includes in her book, Journey to Freedom. But uh, in the book, she explores this foundational Old Testament book in a lot more depth. And so I hope you'll consider getting a copy of her book and reading it and maybe going through it with a small group you're a part of. It's set up to be an eight-week Bible study you can do in community. And in fact, probably it's going to be most effective that way. So again, the book is called Journey to Freedom by our guest, Natasha Sistrunk Robinson. All right, one more segment of our conversation to go. And in that one, Natasha is going to have us focus on the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle takes up a lot of space in Exodus. And so they're going to talk about how all that detail is connected to one of the Bible's big story key ideas. The group explores that after a quick preview of where the podcast will be going in our next episode. time on the Discover the Word podcast, Bill Crowder will be leading Elisa and Daniel and Rasul in some conversations about the work of the Holy Spirit. And the text they'll be studying together is Romans chapter 8. Rasul, you've told us that it's your favorite chapter in the Bible. How did you describe it? I describe Romans 8 as like a multivitamin <laughs> that has all of the different nutrients that one could possibly need to understand who we are in Christ, how do we live, and what God's presence is throughout the entire process. Yeah, is it's it, awesome. Do you have to swallow it or is it chewy? <laughs> oh, it's the flavorful, chewy kind. That it's tastes. gummy. I'm in then. Gum- <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because I think in Romans chapter 8, we have concentrated into one space more teaching on the Holy Spirit than any other single chapter in the New Testament. And so join the group as we go to Romans chapter 8 to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit on the next Discover the Word podcast. And now the conclusion of our conversation with Natasha Sistrunk Robinson about the book of Exodus and the journey to freedom. Well, before we get into this last conversation, we just want to really thank you, Natasha, for leading Mm -hmm. us through this Mm -hmm. incredible series and this conversation through Exodus. Mm -hmm. And it's really been very rich. Yeah, I'm so glad to study this and go over these passages with you, because I think it's important even as Christians to really read the whole Bible. (laughs) I believe that. And so one of the things I kind of want to start our conversation about today is that why is it important for New Testament believers to know the Old Testament and specifically this Exodus story? At the most basic level, it's the backstory for the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And without the Old Testament, the New Testament, I mean, it probably could still stand on its own, but you would be missing a whole lot of details that are really helpful, especially as we think of God's story of the world and stuff like that. Um, We really need that story. We need to hear about how 
God created the world and created it good and then things fell apart Mm -hmm. because that's what points us to our need for Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we talked earlier, like I think in our first conversation about the need to have history and bring Mm -hmm. it forward. Mm -hmm. I am trying to figure out how would we have received Jesus without the revelation of our need for him? Mm -hmm. You know, we would be really stuck in the concrete understanding of kingdom and Mm -hmm. a king Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. riches and, you know, power and all of his upside down values would make even less sense. (laughs) We still have trouble understanding them. Just again, I mentioned this earlier, but Paul frames his warning against idolatry to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10 in the context of history. He says in verse six, now these things took place as examples Examples. for Mm -hmm. us that we might not desire evil as they Mm -hmm. did. Mm -hmm. And so one is, he tells us right there, but then beyond that, Jesus said that, you know, on the road to Emmaus, when he talks to the disciples, Mm -hmm. that the law, the prophets, you know, the histories, mm-hmm. they point to me. Yes, yep. absolutely. Yeah. And Jesus, you know, one of the things he says to us in the Gospels uh, several times, actually, is that I've not come to abolish the law, <laughs> but I've come to fulfill it. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you need to kind of know what the law is right. to understand mm-hmm. what Jesus is fulfilling. When he gives us his greatest commandment, he said the summary of the whole law. And I like to talk about this as the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. is to love God, mm-hmm. you know, with all your heart, mind, mm-hmm. soul, strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. And so that's the spirit behind even the law that he gave. And actually in the Journey to Freedom Bible study on the uh, Corinthians passage that you quoted from Paul, because I think that is an important part of this is Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we read the text and we think we better. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like we're not fallible or fallen right. or sinful. We don't struggle with the we're same. Like we stuff like we, they were. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. But we know better. We don't always do better. Mm. That's why we need the work of the Holy Spirit in us. But as we kind of wrap up Exodus, a large part of it, the first half is like narrative, really. And then it kind of goes into a lot of the law giving. And that includes the building of the tabernacle and the establishment of the priesthood. And so we really start seeing that around Exodus 25 mm-hmm. on to the end of the book around Exodus 40. Just kind of let's look at the establishment of the tabernacle. What's the significance of that? And so Mm -hmm. we can read that in Exodus chapter 35, beginning in verse 20. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent meeting, for all its service, and for all the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Everyone who had blue, purple, or scarlet yarn or fine linen or goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, or the other durable leather brought them. Everyone who could make an offering of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's offering, and everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. All the skillful women spun with their hands and brought what they had spun in blue and purple and crimson yarns and fine linen. All the women whose hearts moved them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. Mm. And the leaders brought onyx stones and gems to be set in the ephod and the breastpiece and spices, and oil for the light, and for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense. All the Israelite men and women whose hearts made them willing to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. 
you know, there's a lot I love about this. But, you know, one of the main things I want us to get across as we kind of close out the study is that this establishment of the tabernacle, and which includes the priesthood, is really a foreshadowing of Jesus mm-hmm. and Jesus being our great high priest and Jesus being the tabernacling of God. But what we see just kind of practically in the text, but also like people, the heart issues, like people, mm. the Bible is like multiple times, anyone who's willing, mm-hmm. anyone who's willing. Yeah, I really heard and then that. they're so generous in their gift. And so, again, you know, as we go through the study, what we want to remember, like the Israelites didn't leave Egypt empty handed. Mm-hmm. God actually told them to plunder the Egyptians. Mm-hmm. And so they leave. If the Israelite women ask the Egyptians for a lot of their wealth, a lot of their jewelry and things. And the Bible says that the people were favorably disposed towards them. And they also honored Moses as a leader. And so they leave Egypt with a hand, you know, full of stuff. We're talking about two million. It's a lot of people with a lot of stuff. And so I think, you know, one of the things we see here is this, uh, just the grandness mm-hmm. of God. And when God blesses you, like, what are you going to do with that blessing? Mm-hmm. Are you going to give back to God the stuff that he's given you? Or are you going to forget or not or do something else with it? And so he said, like, you have a choice. People are willing and they're giving generously so much so that Moses has to stop them from giving. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of examples of if we look at the types of things, too, Mm -hmm. that they're bringing. Mm -hmm. They don't only bring exactly what you were saying, their wealth, but they're bringing like symbols of who they are Mm -hmm. and all that before God, too, which is pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. And their skills. Yes. And their skills. Time, talent, and treasure. Yeah. Time, talent, and treasure. Yeah. I also think about the specificity that is involved with the establishment of the tabernacle. Like at some points it reads almost like a manual for like like a, a building manual, right? <laughs> yep, like, yep, you yep. know, you get some furniture mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, now put this in and that. And just reminds me of the fact that that was very much in contrast to when you see the other ites, as you call them. <laughs> yes, the You know, ites. that they put worship poles and altars wherever they wanted. I mean, we see later in Kings that that is very much in opposition to what the God of the Hebrews do when he says, yeah. this is how I want you to worship. This is the That's only right. place I want you to worship. Exactly. And this is what you will do. This is what you will build it from. This is the materials that you should use. And I think that speaks to the fact that, you know, as you say, it's not all willy nilly. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a specific <laughs> way that God mm-hmm. wants us to worship him. And that is because of his holy character. And again, you know, I, I like to do what I think the Bible does is like point people to Jesus. And so when we look at Hebrews chapter three, verses one through six, what we see there is that I'm, I'm going to go ahead and read it okay. for us. It says, therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as a builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house was built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son forever over God's house. And we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and a hope in which we glory. Yeah. 
especially the way that ends, we are his house. Mm -hmm. You know, the very heart of the tabernacle is God makes his home with his people. Emmanuel. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So they're living in tents. So God comes and lives in a tent with them. You know, we live in human bodies. Mm -hmm. So God takes up a human body in Christ. And in John 1, it says he dwelt or tabernacled Mm -hmm. among Mm -hmm. us. So he uses that same picture of a temporary dwelling to say that that's who Jesus is. He's the tent. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of that passage, you just read, then we are then invited to dwell with him. Mm -hmm. So it's like God's that first mover of moving in with his people. Mm but inviting them in their hearts to move in with him as well. I like how Eugene Peterson translates John 15. You know, I'm the vine and the branches, and he talks about abiding. Mm -hmm. But the way he paraphrases is, make your home in me. Mm -hmm. Amen. I believe what we see in Exodus, we see Moses rise as like a type of Christ, right? He's showing up as the savior of his people. But we also see that there's a promise that God has offered to Abraham that is now continuing continually to be fulfilled through Moses, which is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. That's also a historical point and it's a theological truth and reality. And then finally, we see Jesus becoming that embodiment of all the things that, you know, in every way that Moses in his good heart, right, and the priests fail the people, that Jesus did not fail. Jesus becomes the great high priest. He becomes the tabernacle so that we can become the priesthood and the tabernacling of God. Great way to wrap up this series with a reminder that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to rescue his people. And that God with us, that's a consistent theme that shows up over and over in Scripture. And again, let me express our thanks to our friend Natasha Sistrunk Robinson for spending the hour with us on this edition of the Discover the Word podcast. Helpful conversation, walking through some important ideas in the book of Exodus and the journey to freedom. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And as we wrap up another edition of the podcast, just like to remind you that it's the voluntary giving of friends like you that makes Discover the Word and Our Daily Bread Ministries possible. Our digital and print resources reach people in over 150 different countries. Millions around the world use our resources. And when you give, they're helping us to make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. You can partner with us in this important mission by giving online at discovertheword.org. Look for the Donate tab that's up there at the top of the page. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedding. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.